Father, again, we thank you for the family relationship that we have with you through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we have received you and received a sacrifice, we have been placed into the family of God. That we are your sons and your daughters. That we are now joint heirs. Lord, I pray that as we consider those marvelous truths, that they would transform our lives even as we live throughout this next week. Lord, as we think of the spiritual relationship we have, whether we also thank you for the physical relationships that we have with one another, and we thank you for our parents, for our mother and father, for family. And Lord, as we look at Titus today, and as we look at what the responsibility of a woman should be in a responsibility of a girl should be that we ask that you would give us wisdom, convict our hearts, not just the women, but even the men as far as what we are expecting. Lord, I pray that we might be biblical in our thinking, Lord, that we might be fulfilling what you want in each one of our lives, that we would be passing the baton of truth and of wisdom to the next generation. Again, we thank you that your word is so practical, so relevant that it literally spells out what what each should be. And again, that you would help us to have hearts that want to learn, ears that want to hear, that we would be doers, not just hearers of the word. So we ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would convict us in areas that we need conviction in. And as you are convicting us, that we would be quick to respond and, and to repent. Lord, the world puts a lot of pressure on us as to what it wants us to be. And we ask that we would be all that you would want us to be. For your honor and glory, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Can you picture this cartoon? It appeared some years ago. It showed a mother that was sprawled out on a couch. Her hair was unkept. The look on her face was just being frazzled. Toys and crayons and clutter were all over the floor. A vacuum cleaner was propped up against the wall. A dust cloth hung from her hand. Her husband, neat and tidy, walked in with a briefcase, said this. This is one word, exhausted. But he, she was referring to her, exhausted? And this is what she said, Man, I'll be glad when the kids are all grown up. Then I'll have time to be a good parent. <laughs> Sometimes we think that. You know, it'll come next year. It'll come in a few years from now. But we want to look at a passage of Scripture that tells us what we need to be right now as far as a good parent. Actually, we're going to be looking at mothers today. You know, Abraham Lincoln declared, No one is poor who has had a godly mother. And by the way, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your mother was like. See, as we, as we lay this out today in, in Titus chapter 2, some of you may be saying, But that wasn't my mother. You don't know my mother. She, didn't, she wasn't godly. I didn't even like her. Maybe that's what you feel. Some, some have said that. Let me remind you of a few things before we get to the text. In fact, you can turn to Titus chapter 2 if you'd like. 
Titus chapter 2. We're going to be actually picking up at verse 3. But again, we need to have some thoughts before we get to this passage because the last thing we would want is for you to respond in an unbiblical way to this passage. First thing I want you to remember is that Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, says that we are to honor our father and mother. We are to honor. That's the first commandment with a promise, it says, that it may be well with you and that you might live long on the earth. You must honor. That means put value towards. You must value. Sometimes parents make it so it's very hard to honor them, but the reality is we should still honor them. By the way, we don't honor them based on their worthiness. We honor them based on God's command. And that takes grace sometimes, a lot of grace. But that's the truth nonetheless. So we must honor. We must not walk away looking at this passage and let's say your mother doesn't fulfill it perfectly, which none of our mothers do, if she's still living, and then somehow think, well, I don't need to honor her because look at what the Bible says and look at how she's lived her life. That's not, no, no, we need to honor. The second thing I want to notice, have you noticed, is verse 3 talks about the older woman woman, and the younger women found in verse 4. It's about women. It's not just about mothers. This is not just a mother's passage. However, look at verse 4. It says that they would learn to love their husbands and their children. So it is a mother's passage. There's an assumption here that most women will be mothers. Not all. And there's a gift of singleness. I understand that. But this is talking about older women and younger women. The other thing I want you to notice is this is not just for the women. This is not just for women. This is a passage for men too because what are we as men looking for? And what do I look for in my wife that she needs to match with Scripture? And how am I nurturing her to be more like what the Scripture says? So this is a passage for me. I believe that husbands should help blossom their wives. If your wife is not blossoming, don't put all the emphasis on her. That's partly your responsibility as a husband. By the way, this is also for young men because what are you looking for in a girlfriend? What are you looking for in a future mate? Again, as we get to verse 4 and it talks about younger women, I think this is a good way of saying, okay, this is what we should be looking for in, in a younger woman. And if you're a teen, well, you're in that category, you're moving in that category. This is what you need to be. So really, this is a passage for everyone. Again, as you notice, we're in Titus, not Galatians, so we're veering from our study in Galatians for uh, for this week. And then we're going to veer again on Graduates um, Week and veer a third time on Father's Day because we're going to be back here. I I figure I'm going to veer a little bit. Uh, We've looked at Galatians quite intently and then looked at James, and and, uh, so we're going to be veering periodically through the next couple months but I think it's a good veer. (laughs) So again, it's a passage talking about older men, younger women. Actually, if you look at the uh, verse 2, it says, but as you speak, speak excuse me, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men, and then he tells what the older men should do. We're going to look at that in Father's Day. And verse 3, the older women, verse 4, that they admonish the younger women, 
And then uh, verse 6, the, older, the younger men. So again, it's, he's talking about all the different relationships, all different stages of life. Let me throw out one final consideration as we just general thoughts. That Titus, though it's written to a pastor, Paul writing Titus, that it's really an evangelistic book. If you start looking at Titus and saying, what is the overarching theme? It's really evangelism. God and Jesus Christ are six times referred to as Savior. So the point is, is this. Paul's writing to Titus, who was a pastor of a church, saying, listen, if you really want to have an impact on the world, then let's make sure that we are living so that we are different from the world. You see how that works? See, if we live like the world and yet we proclaim the message of the gospel, they look at us and say, well, you're no different than me. Why are you saying that I need Jesus? So really, the book of Titus is an evangelistic book. It's a book on how the church can evangelistically affect the world. And one of the best, one of the most important things is be the woman that you need to be. Be the young woman you need to be. Be the man you need to be. Be the young man you need to be. Because then we're, then we're truly going to be uh, acting and thinking and looking different from the world. Otherwise, we look the same and they say, well, why should I accept him? Okay, well, let's get into verse 3. It says, and again, I'm going to skip right down to verse 3 because this is Mother's Day. We'll go to verse 1 and 2 on Father's Day. But he's basically given us instruction. This is what you should be as an older man, as a younger man. And he says, older women. By the way, none of us want to be older. We all want to be younger. But what is an older woman? What is the time frame? Probably this, right around 55 to 60. Once you get to 60, you're considered, now you're the older woman. I hope that doesn't affect you wrongly. I hope that doesn't depress you. I'm going to be 50 in, a, in just a year and, and a few months. But that's okay. I mean, we're, we are getting older. We need to understand that. And he's talking to the older. This is the point. The person that has already had a family and their children are now grown up and now they're supposed to, you're going to find out in a moment, pass the baton to the younger because your family has done hopefully what it should have done. So he's talking to the older woman, probably around the 60-year-old age and above. And he gives them four things that this older woman should be. Okay, the older woman likewise, he uses the word likewise because he has just talked about the older man. That the older woman, that they be, number one, reverent in behavior. The point is that she is marked by outward consecration to God. She's marked by that. By the way, if you have a bulletin, there's an outline. It's pretty extensive. I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have. I left everything on there without blanks because if I run out of time, you have the whole, whole message. But the point is this, she is reverent in behavior. There's a markedness towards her outward consecration to God. You watch her and she looks godly. That's the point. Sacred. That's what the word reverent means. Holy. She stands out. She's a holy woman. In fact, the root of that word reverent, the root meaning is priest-like. You look at her and you say, she's godly. Again, remember, God isn't after your ability, but your availability. He wants to use someone that is godly, but you've got to be available to be used. 
not that we're going to turn there, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly garments. And by the way, many times in the, because the banks weren't that safe or the places to keep money, many times women would literally take the gold and, the, and the, the jewels that they have and would weave that into their hair. It was kind of like a safety deposit box. <laughs> Not only that, but what did it do? It kind of showed everybody who they were and the riches they had. Oh, yeah, you know. But the point is, is Paul says, listen, that's not what you should adorn yourself with, you know, but rather by means of good works as befitting women making a claim to godliness. That's, that's what should mark you, not your hair, not your clothing. What should mark you is your character, is your outward conduct. A godly woman is a very beautiful woman. And I don't mean physically. I'm saying her presence, how she responds. Lauren Sani uh, navi- of the Navigators once wrote of his mother, this is what he said, quote, My mother gave birth to me in a frontier home on a Midwest prairie. On the kitchen counter she placed a list of the ingredients necessary for my formula. At the top of the list was prayer. And that remained at the top of her list for me throughout her life. I have her to thank for firmly establishing my spiritual roots, end quote. Yeah, there's physical formula, but no, prayer. He needs prayer. Your children need prayer. That's a mark of a holy woman. Prayer. By the way, do you pray for your children? Do you pray consistently for your kids? Sometimes we, I'm sure you feel as a mother, like that woman that's just sitting in the chair, I just can't wait till they're out of the house and I can be a good mother. Spend some time. You know, I think it was uh, Susanna Wesley, wasn't it her, that uh, she had a lot of kids. I mean, in the what, 12, 14, 16 kids, something like that. But anyways, but she would periodically be sitting at her, uh, at her kitchen table and she would just take her apron, just the apron part, and put it up over her head. That, then the kids knew, mom's, mom's with God. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I, I think you need to have those times. Don't look for the, the convenient time to have time with God and to pray. It'll never come. It'll get squeezed out. It'll, you'll be too busy. That's the first thing, the outward consecration to God. I believe that this first characteristic is like an umbrella term. It covers everything else. The other three are covered under this. Because what he's saying is, listen, you need to be outwardly consecrated. Now let me show you what that looks like. And he moves to number two, or the second part. He says, not slanderers. Okay, so an older woman likewise, be reverent, not slanderers. The New American says, not malicious gossips. The word is diabolos. We get the word diabolical. This is a very strong term. It's, remember what the first term is? Be outwardly consecrated to God. Now he's going to say, well, what's your speech like? What's your speech like? This word diabolos is used of, of, the, of Satan 35 times. Of how Satan tries to destroy God's people through his, through his speech, through the things he's, he, you know, what is he? He's a liar and the father of lies. Always spreading untruths. Always trying to uh, disunite the church. Trying to wreak havoc with his 
mouth, as it were. Again, it's applied to one who, by opposing the cause of God, may be said to act the part of the devil. Paul tells Titus, make sure the the older women are not playing the part of the devil, of using their speech in a malicious way, a slanderous way. Don't play the part of the devil. You know, John MacArthur has, I think, a very profound uh, thought on this. He says, men tend to be rough or violent in their actions. By the way, that's true. I mean, if you're called to a house where there's uh, domestic violence, normally it's the man. Now, I know in our society it seems to be more and more the woman. You know, you see this woman, got the guy, you know, holding him up. No. <laughs> now, usually it's the man. Usually it's the man. Men are stronger. Men are more uh, aggressive. I would say that's true, very true. And by the way, in, in many situations, that's good. I mean, it's good that men are the aggressors and men should be the ones that fight in the war. Anyways, he goes on and says this, men tend to be rough or violent in their actions. Women have a tendency to be rough or violent in their words. Interesting. I I think of Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth but only such that is good for edification. In other words, and that's not a passage towards women only. That's to everyone. So really, we all need to learn this. But it's interesting to me that Paul tells Titus to tell the older woman, you know, make sure you're not a slanderer. Make sure that you're not a malicious gossip. Make sure that what's coming out of your mind, mouth builds up and does not destroy. In other words, this is the type of woman that refuses to listen to, much less propagate, slanderous, critical, or demeaning words about others. He's talking about gossip is what he's talking about. In fact, I I thought about this. How, How can you distinguish between just conversation and talking and gossip? When does talk become gossip? Let me give you a few thoughts. It's not in your notes, but I just looked up the word gossip or the word is whisperer in Proverbs. There was like three or four places where it uh, is found. Well, first of all, it's, it, the, the way the, the translators translate it is whisperer. So really the first thing is this. Talk becomes gossip when you're unwilling to be quoted because you're whispering. That's the whole point. Whispering. I don't want to be heard. I don't, listen, just keep it with yourself. This is confidential. By the way, if you have a problem with someone, what does the Scripture say? You go to the person. Matthew 18, very clear. Brother sins against you. You have a problem with your brother? Go to your, go to your brother. Keep it between you and him alone. That's what it says. Because then, and if they listen to you, then you've won your brother. But the idea is, if you have a problem with someone, you keep it in the tightest circle as possible. You would never bring that up in a group when you're unwilling to be quoted. Number two, talk becomes gossip when the person being talked about finds out and is wounded. I know there are certain cases where, let's say there's a sin and you're trying to get uh, an understanding, but usually you you find, you know what, we're not talking about counsel. Many times we're talking in the area of, of gossip when that happens. When the person finds out, and then they, 
In Proverbs 26, 22 says this, the words of a talebearer, that's the gossip, that's the whisperer, the, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Ooh, tasty trifles. You know, you go to a wedding and you get all these little tasty trifles. Oh, and you just keep eating them, you know. Give me a plate. You know, give me a big plate. Tasty trifles. The word actually, tasty trifles, is the root word of gulp. Gulp. In other words, the idea is more. Give me more. Because the words of a talebearer are sweet in that sense. Give me more. You know, you, have you ever done this? You, you start talking and all of a sudden it's been an hour and, what? and you have just let out a lot of information that you never intended. But why? Because the person just ate it up. Like tasty trifles. But the second part of Proverbs 26, 22 say this, and those trifles, they go down into the innermost body. In other words, it strikes deep at the heart. And he's, he's referring to both the person you told it to and the person you told about. So I have just shared with somebody, I shared about someone, and that's going to hit hard on that person when they find out. In other words, a word can be like a sword to the innermost part of the being. The words of a whisperer are like tasty trifles. They go down deep into the innermost body. They hurt deep. Talk becomes gossip when there is a great when there is greater, not less strife after the sharing. When there's greater strife being generated. Proverbs twenty six. By the way, Proverbs twenty six verses twenty to twenty two. There's a lot being said, but this is what it says: Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. That makes sense. No wood, fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. At church, when there's, there's frustration and, and I start sensing um, this with people, I start asking the question, I wonder if there's some gossip going on. And finally, when it separates friends, because it says a whisperer separates the best of friends. The whisper separates the best of friends, Proverbs 16, 28. See, gossip can be very destructive. It hurts relationships, destroys unity in the church, and hampers ministry. It is diabolos. It destroys, and yet we can do it and treat it like a tasty trifle. Boy, that was sweet. Let's have some more. And I think an older woman has to say, you know what? We've just entered into gossip. Let's remember, it says, God hates six things, seven things he are abomination to him. And the last of those seven things is one who sows discord among the brethren. Gossip can happen in a lot of different areas, though. I mean, I know I've participated in it. Sometimes even in prayer, sharing a prayer request, gossip happens. We share too much, and then we never get to prayer. I have found that yesterday, men's prayer, it was way late before we ever got to prayer. And I actually confessed to the Lord. And it wasn't because of gossip. It was just because we kept, you know, talking. That's great too. But you know what? If we come together for prayer, let's pray. So for you men that come to, on the Hornell, we're going to pray more. <laughs> we're going to get to it quicker and then talk after. But again, never talk in the form of gossip. Let's just be careful. Let's be careful. Well, number three. Not slanderers, not given to much wine. Not given to much wine. Really what he's talking about is not marked, or she is marked by self-control. Now again, notice not much wine. It didn't say not, no wine, not much. 
But again, think about what wine does. Wine ultimately can enslave. In other words, he's saying don't be under bondage to anything, especially wine. Marked by self-control. What does Ephesians 5 say? Don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled by the Spirit. So I believe that what he's getting at is older women... Let's make sure that nothing, that you're not brought under the bondage of anything. By the way, there's a lot of things that we can be in bondage to. There's a lot of things a woman could be in bondage to. The approval of men. By the way, we can all, that's fear of man. Mastered by things, mastered by money. Mastered by time, mastered by the job. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can be mastered by. The point is, we don't want to be enslaved by anything. In fact... Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's 1 Corinthians 6.12. Let nothing master you. And I know he's speaking specifically of wine, but I think there's a general bigger picture of saying, don't be mastered by anything. She has her priorities straight, and she sees the the word of God, the power of God in her life. So again... Outwardly godly, not malicious, not controlled by wine. And finally, she is marked by teaching godliness. Teachers of good things. That word good, kalos, is the word that is used of Jesus Christ when it says he is the good shepherd. It means he's intrinsically good. So the idea here is she's teaching things that really matter. I mean, you can teach the, you know, the younger women how to bake a cake, and that's great. Maybe some of them need that teaching, how to fix a meal and all those things. But then let's get into the intrinsically good, the spiritual stuff. How do you function? Well, actually, she's going to tell you what the good things are. So she's willing to teach. She's an excellent teacher in her example and by her words. It doesn't mean that she's an excellent teacher in front of people. We're talking about one-on-one. We're talking about passing the baton. Let the older woman teach Let the older woman be teachers of good things, noble things, choice things. Privately, we're not talking about classes necessarily. It's, again, one-on-one, one-on-two. No one is better able to train a younger woman than an experienced older woman. Do you believe that? I believe that. And by the way, as as I've studied this passage, I've thought, you know, and, and by the way, I've taught on this a few times, you know, we need, I think we need to think through how, how can this church help the older women teach the younger women? Are we doing everything that we can? I'm very thankful, by the way, for the women's class and get-togethers, but how else can that be nurtured along? Because that's very important. No one is better able. You're never going to find me sitting down with a group of younger women and saying, no, this is how you should be, a, a, you know, <laughs> not going to happen. Okay, we need you. We need you, older ladies. By the way, we need you. Make sure, don't retire. You can retire from secular. In fact, that's great. Retire from secular it gives you more time to do the the really important things in life, right? But don't retire from uh, the the good things. Teaching the good things. Well, that's the older woman. Four different characteristics. Let's go on to the younger. That they may admonish the young women. That's again under sixty. Probably really close to the, up to 45, 50, younger, between 50 and 60. Now there's that transition going on. 
Pass the baton to the younger, that they admonish the younger women. Again, that they, they being the older women, not the older men, that they, the older women, they would pass the baton. The word encourage or admonish, some different versions, that means to teach, to exhort, to model, to hold to one's duty. In other words, that's what you're pushing them to. Gently. It means to cause someone to be of sound mind and of self-control. That's, that's what it means to be admonished. Of sound mind. Thinking straight. You're going to see this word in a moment. Again, think straight. Help the younger women to think straight. Because think about it. A younger woman, 20 plus years old, they, they've got some bad thinking in their mind. If, they, if they're product of this world, which we all have, you know, we've all been splashed by the world, they're going to be thinking, they're not going to be thinking totally straight on everything. Help them to think straight. Admonish them. Help them to cultivate good judgment and sensibilities, as it were. Again, older women, you're, great, you're a great resource. I hope you see that. I hope you don't see yourself, well, I'm just being put out to pasture. What? You are the greatest resource. I mean, God says it's you that needs to be instructing. Again, that they admonish. Look at these seven things. Admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. Good, obedient to their own husbands. Notice the last part, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Because if those younger women don't act right, the word of God, the very word of God is going to be blasphemed, slandered. You call yourself a Christian, look at how you act. You know, in our culture, that is the exact opposite of what they are being taught. I hope you understand that. Feminism... And all that's around there. Women are encouraged to love whomever they want, to farm out their children to someone else's care. Not to worry about being sensible or pure, but to do whatever pleases them in their desires, right? I mean, it's, it's the exact opposite. Feminism has had a lot of inroads. And I, I believe even in the church, it's sad. It has made... Even inroads, I believe, in the evangelical church. In fact, one man said this, In the name of women's rights, the word of God is dishonored as being sexist, chauvinistic, and unfairly limiting. I've thought through a number of families who have come to this church for a while and left. And and even just through God's grace, it was told me why they left. And you know what it was? It was because of our stance on what a woman should be and what a man should be and that they're different. Just the fact of this, that women should submit, that word submit. In fact, in these cases, most of these cases that I'm referring to, by the way, not everybody has ever left the church, but three over the last, it was the woman telling the man, I'm not going to go there. I just found that very interesting. She was the one that determined the direction of their lives. But here's what these older women are to tell the younger or to show the younger women to model to to explain first of all to love their own husbands to love their own husbands teach her to develop a loving relationship with her husband by the way that word love is not agape it's the word philo it's it's the word of friendship that's interesting let me use my own my wife sola should learn to be a friend to me that's how it plays out be a friend. Be devoted to me. Be a committed companion, a team player, a true helper. 
Again, it's not the word agape. He's just, he's just saying, listen, learn to really help the guy and be a part of his team. Be devoted to him. Even if he's unlovable. Even if he's uncaring. Even if he's ungrateful. Even if he's a sinner. We're all sinners. Right? Train yourself to love your husband. Train them to love your husband. Train them to love him. It's not easy. We had a wedding here yesterday, and I, I love doing weddings, and they're sparkle in their eyes. And one of the things I always say at the end is pray for them. Why? Because we're all sinners, and we're all going to have struggles, and you have to learn to love each other. No matter how great the ceremony is, and it was great, the reality is they're both sinners. You're both sinners. And you have to learn to love. And this word love, again, I mean, he could have said, agape him, which means be sacrificial and committed. But the, the idea is just learn to be his friend. That's what uh, Titus is being told. Just learn to be devoted to him. That that's the only relationship that you find your friendship in him and not some other guy or some other woman in the sense of having your you know girlfriends over and they're more important than he is. I don't even know where he is. He's just in irritation. I'm glad he's out of the house. No, that should never be how it is. Do you get the point? I hope you do. Again, what could stand in the way of him being the key friend in your life as a woman, as a married woman? What could stand in the way? Work? Other friends? Children? Children? Children could stand in the way of that. You get a child-centered home, and, you know, this was such a great couple, and all of a sudden they had two or three kids, and now mom is just so focused on children that he's just like over in the corner. And Titus is saying, listen, teach them how to learn their, uh, love their own husband. That the children are never priority relationship. If you have a child-centered home, you have a sinful situation right there. Thankfully, now he does number two. Learn how to develop a loving relationship with your children. See, he's not leaving out the children. He's just saying that's not priority. By the way, that word love is philos. Phileo, it's, it's still it's the same word. Phileo your husband, phileo your children. But again, don't make them the center. If they, I say it's sinful because, this, because then they become your God. Oh, I just can't stand to see her cry. I would never spank her. You just broke the scripture. Doesn't the scripture say use the rod? And I mean in the right sense. Be careful that you don't go against God in trying to be a loving parent. I've heard people who say, you know, I'm just doing the loving thing. And yet you're right against scripture. So, learn to love your children, but in a right way. By the way, learn to love them even when they're irritating. Learn to love them in a practical, physical, social, moral way. We only have a couple minutes, but first, go to First Timothy chapter 2. I want you to know how important being a mother is. I totally agree with what Lee was saying earlier. First Timothy 2.15, very quickly, because I've got to finish up the last five. Verse 15, Nevertheless, she will be saved, this is talking about the mother, saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and with self-control. What do you mean saved? You mean I have a child, I'm saved? Now let's remember that true salvation, spiritual salvation, is found in Jesus Christ alone when a person recognizes that they are a sinner, that they are condemned before a holy God, and they look to the sacrifice of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, and they receive Him, repent of their sin, 
God says that I will forgive you based on the sacrifice of Christ because your sins have been placed on the cross and you will be forgiven if you repent and believe. So what does it mean saved? It doesn't mean spiritual. That's what I just said is spiritual. What he's saying is this. Listen, in the world, women are considered second class. Now, I know that that's a, that sounds like a chauvinistic... I'm not saying it. I'm saying that's what the world says. You look around the world in general. We have this little microcosm called America for this moment of time. And, you know, feminism and all this other... And there's been blips of feminism. But for the most part, the world is a man-dominated society. And God says, listen... But there is one thing the woman can do that the man can't, and it raises her from a second-class citizen to equality. And just look at her motherhood. You can't have a child, guy, but she does. And you don't have the influence that she has on him. And I believe that that's what he's talking about. Nevertheless, she will be saved. She will be brought from a second-rate citizen up to equality with men. Why? Because she's the one that bears the children. If... She continues in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. In other words, if she's godly, if you're raising an ungodly seed, you know, then really you're like a second-class citizen in that sense. Do you hear me saying? In other words, be godly, raise a godly seed. How about number three? Back to Titus. To be discreet. That means sensible. Teach her how to have a sound mind. In other words... Teach her how to have common sense in a biblical sense. To make sound judgments. Sound mind, discreet, sound mind, biblical. Teach her how to spend money properly. How many women have drove their husbands into the ground because of their how they look at things and spending and all this other stuff? Teach her how to have a sound mind so that when her beauty starts to fade, she doesn't get depressed because she's getting older. And like Elizabeth Taylor keeps having things changed because she can't let go of youth. Right? That's a sound mind. Look at age properly. Look at the beauty properly. How about number four? To teach her how to be pure, chaste, or New American says pure. Morally and sexually pure. The, uh, in First Timothy 2, he uses the word propri- propriety, modest. And it refers to a healthy sense of shame at saying or doing as well as dressing to make another stumble. Teach her how to dress and think proper. I believe the man wants to pursue and the woman wants to be pursued. I think that's part of the difference of male and female. But teach the younger that you only want to be pursued by your husband and if he happens not to be... Uh, focused in that, that she not go wanting to be pursued by someone else. Teach her how to be pure. Number five, teach her how to take care of her household. Homemaker. Be a homemaker. That means that word homemaker is part of two words. Uh, a home guardian. And if you go over to 1 Timothy 5, don't, you don't have to do, turn there, but 1 Timothy 5.14, it talks about the younger Widows marrying, bearing children, and a manager of the house. It's a different word there. It's not a house manager. It literally is a house despotat. We get despot. House lord. Let your wife be the house lord, the lord of the house. Now, most would say, well, no, it's the man's job. Well, the big picture is the man is the overseer of everything. 
But when it comes to the house, let her have her rule. By the way, that's been very hard for me. I, 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 this is what I do with, you know, let's do this with the kids. And then I pull it back. You know, she'll say, this is the direction I want to go. And then I'll pull it back after. And, you know, and then she'll say, this is what I want to do with the house. And then I'll, like, in a couple months, I'll pull it back. You can pray for me that I let her do her, because if she does her job well, then I can deal with my job well. Do you get the point? And if, and if you're a strong personality, sometimes we inadvertently say, well, we're the, we're the, the Lord of the house. No, we're the, we're the leader. There's no question about that. But let's give her the responsibility of the home and let's use uh, her wisdom to run the home that she, how she thinks. And only if I see there's a major problem should I go in and veto it. Do I really trust her? She'll use this message against me later. <laughs> Let me close this down. John MacArthur said this, It is not so much that a woman's place is in the home as that her responsibility is for the home. For the home. Again, I hope that you see that. I remember a story of of Gypsy Smith. He was an evangelist. And a lady got saved and and she was like frustrated because she said, I'm saved now and I really want to minister for the Lord. I just want to... and, And I'm so frustrated because she says... I have this trouble. I have 12 children to raise. What shall I do? And this is what he wrote back to her. My dear lady, I am happy to hear that you have been saved and feel called to preach, or teach, actually. But I am even more delighted to know that God has already provided you with a congregation of 12. I think the new... How about number six? The, the, the older should teach the younger how to be good-natured. The word is good, kind, pleasant, gentle, quiet spirit. In other words, when the guy comes in the house, he's glad to be there because she's kind and gentle and pleasant. And finally, teach her how to be submissive to her own husband. The word... Uh, the word in the New King James says obedient, but actually the word is hupatasso, which means to submit. It's the same exact word of Ephesians. It's the same exact word of First Peter, talking about what wives should be to their husbands. Submit. Put yourself under the, his... See, that's the big picture. Do you remember the big picture? She's the house lord, if you want to say that, but the point is, is that I, she's still submissive to the directions that I need to go. But she has her part, her responsibility so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. By the way, the word submit is in the, in the, in the, uh, the part that, said, that means you have to be the one that submits. In other words, how it plays out is this. Titus tells Sola, submit to him. I know he's not perfect, and he makes a lot of mistakes, and he sins, he, but submit to him. It's not this. And I'm telling you, you need to submit. It's right here. Bible bashing. (laughs) It's not your responsibility, men, husbands, to make them submit. It's their love for Jesus Christ that says, I want to. So how does this play out? Older women, take the responsibility. Take the responsibility. Know what you should be and say, hey... 
Lord, give me someone that I can pass a baton to. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take some effort. It's not easy. Younger, are you willing to do it though? Are you willing to even seek it? Are you willing to say, I want to be taught. I want to be teachable. I trust you are. Because that's how this plays out. If, a per- if we go away saying, well, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like, you know, theory. It's not theory. It's practical. It's you saying, yes, I want to have time to pour myself into another younger woman. And the young woman saying, yes, and I want to receive it and be teachable. Mothering is hard. Relationships are difficult. Let me end with one final illustration on motherhood. You know, when you think about mothers, maybe you think of it as one person said, it's like flying a kite. You know, children are like kites. Fragile. You spend a lifetime trying to get them off the ground. You run with them until you are both breathless and they crash. You ever have a child crash? But you had a longer tail and you try to get them up again. You patch and comfort and adjust and teach and assure them that someday they will fly. Finally, they're airborne, but they need some more string and you keep letting it out. With each twist of the ball of twine, the kite becomes more and more distant. You know, it won't be long before that beautiful creature will snap the lifeline that bound you together and soar free and alone. And only then do you know that you did your job. That's a scary thing. And sometimes what we do as parents is this. Oh, you're too far away. Oh, they just got married. I need to find out all the things that are happening in their life. And you're trying to pull them back in. And God says, no, no, you did your job. They're not yours. They're just a stewardship. Let them fly. Let them on their own. Be there as a counselor if they ask. But be careful because they are now adults, especially if they're married. A lot of grace it takes to be a parent, doesn't it? A lot of grace. So we need to pray towards that end. Let's stand as we close by worshiping the Lord. If you are a mother, I trust that you will have a wonderful Mother's Day. And yet I know for some you may say, but I wasn't that and I have done it wrong and my kids are frustrated with me and perhaps the relationship is not what it should be. I would encourage you, if, if there are areas in your life that you say, you know what, I wasn't what I should have been. If, I, if you veered from the path of what God said, it's always right to confess. It's always right to not only confess first to God, but even to your child. Humility will repair relationships by saying, you know, I, I wasn't. I know in my own life, I'm so glad many times what I thought and what I did was not seen by anyone. But sometimes it was. And I have to go back. And God is, is weaving into my heart humility and saying, you know, you need to go back to your son, your daughter, your wife and say exactly what you did wrong. And you may have to do that. And maybe you're like, oh, I don't want to, because then they'll really find out the truth about me. They already know. That's the problem. No, Really? And again, it's hard to be humble. None of us are perfect. They're not perfect. And many of their responses were not perfect. But the reality is we can show humility and go and seek to repair and not let it go on year after year with things that just keep building up. I trust you will do that. Maybe this will then become the best of the best of Mother's Day. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. It has been a a heavy lesson. There's a lot of practical things that we need to do, that uh, wives need to do, that mothers need to do, that women need to do. Um, And yet, through this, I have been convicted on things that I need to do. 
I pray, first of all, Lord, for the men, the husbands and the fathers. Help us to be an encouragement, not a discouragement to women. Lord, I pray that we might be the example that we need to be first. Uh, Lord, I pray for the ladies also, that uh, through your spirit, through grace, through mercy, that you would give us all humility. Lord, if there are relationships that have been broken because of our ways, I pray that they would be mended through humility, through confession. Lord, again, we love you. We thank you that we have such a great hope in the fact that you will return. We thank you for the hope of, of eternal salvation, that we are forgiven. And Lord, with these truths and with this power, I pray that we might be all that we should be with the people around us. Help us now to honor you through our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.